You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the official free podcast for thebarkboard.com. Your one-stop shop for all your Fresno State recruiting news. So head over to thebarkboard.com and get your premium subscription today. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. My name is Lucio, your producer of the show, and without further ado, I want to introduce Mr. Josh Webb. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the preseason edition of the Red Wave Report slash Bulldog Blast podcast. It's all going to be free for this one. Uh and we're here with a with a jam-packed episode. Uh, we'll, we'll kick off the show uh, by introducing my trusty steed, my trusty colleague, my man with over 1,700 retweets yesterday for Scout.com, uh, Mr. Jackson Moore. Uh, I'm honored to be in the presence of a celebrity, sir. <laughs> well, you're a celebrity yourself, uh, getting shout-outs from Dan Patrick and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually convinced that Dan Patrick had been drinking with Sark prior to saying on his show <laughs> that I wrote an article that gave him perspective. That's that's what I've landed on um, with that situation, and that's how I'm going to justify that for the rest of my life. But uh, certainly, if you hadn't heard, uh, uh, to start out with what Jackson did, um, so you could go over to, uh, um, I believe it's Warrior Nation, is it? It's a Warriors. Warrior Sports. I'm sorry, run that back one more time, good sir. It's WarriorsportsNetwork.com, or you can just go to uh, Hawaii.scout.com and it'll pop up. And, uh, Jackson wrote uh, th- this really fascinating story about uh, Narbonne alum Melvin. Uh, what was his last name again? Melvin. Melvin, I keep- Melvin Davis. Okay, yes, Melvin David. I wanted to say no. Melvin Gordon, but that's because my physical therapist was talking to me about his uh, fantasy draft last night. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Melvin Davis was, was a Narbonne kid that, that actually got he, – he had an offer to Washington, and he got wrapped up in just some crazy, man. I'm not even going to get into it because it just takes away from this incredible narrative that, that Jackson spent a lot of time – uh, researching and wrote up and, and rather than me tell you what this story's about um, let's just say that there was a possible murder charge uh, a, a false arrest uh, some imprisonment uh, and you just gotta check this stuff out man like Jackson did such a good job with this and uh, it's a bit long but truthfully you won't notice because it's one of those books it's like Harry Potter by the time you're done with it, you forgot that you read close to a thousand pages. Um, not that his is close to a thousand pages, but uh, it, it's it's worth no matter how much time you spend reading it, uh, even if you have to break it into sections to do so. Uh, uh, it says quite a bit about not only our justice system but athletics in general. Uh, it's just it, it's a really gripping story and, and definitely worth your time. And, and you know, all of us at Scout are you know super happy uh, that that. I believe I saw a tweet today from Kevin Wade, one of our, our our logistics guys, and he said it was the top story on the website for an hour. Yeah, I 
it was getting a lot of traction. I think that like 900 pound gator threw me off. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, and for a site that that you know, I, I mean, scout something staying the top story when you cover recruiting and team news for every single team in the nation, especially with yesterday's news, something saying the top story for over an hour is, is actually rather impressive uh, when it comes to scout. So you like an hour who gives a damn, uh, but no, truthfully, <laughs> man, it, it really, it really is because you have to factor in all the other breaking stories that happened yesterday that people wanted to talk about. I'm guessing the Virginia Tech scout site had some people asking questions. Uh, I'm guessing Ohio State scout site probably uh, had had a fan base all up in arms wondering what happened with Noah Brown. Um, and certainly today, man, uh, with Illinois and Tim Beckman just getting outright fired in the university with holding a $3.1 million payment, man. Like, this has been a crazy, crazy week in college football. Uh, started off by Sark getting drunk in a rally and dropping the F-bomb. Um, and, and, and it's just sort of snowballed into a crap storm from there. Uh, of just story after story after story in college football. And somehow or another, this awesome tale of redemption uh, was able to dominate Scout for, for about an hour. So kudos to you, Jackson. Oh, thank you. I appreciate all that. And if you missed it, too, uh, the Dan Patrick, yes, that Dan Patrick, apparently, and I don't know how this is possible, stumbled onto a take that I wrote on Sarkeesian for a friend of the show, Kyle Kensing's website, CFB Huddle, and actually read a segment of it on air uh, and said that it gave him perspective. So that was a top five life moment for me as that was somebody I watched as a kid and I didn't necessarily want to be him. But I certainly wanted to be as cool as Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann when I was like eight years old, man. Like that, that was the dream, you know, for for a generation that grew up worshiping Stuart Scott. Like he was sort of just getting started back in those days. Like, yeah, Dan Patrick, Chris Berman, Keith Olbermann, that's sort of my generation of ESPN. And to have that moment was pretty damn cool. But enough self-congratulatory edicts. Uh, let's talk about Bulldog football and get straight into some questions here. Uh, actually, the first news that we'll cover here, Jackson, is that Fresno State became the first university to launch a blimp. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 here's the thing with this, and, and I said this on Twitter, and I mean this, I'm, I, I mean this wholeheartedly, as a marketing ploy. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, uh, it's a 150-foot blimp. The thing looks like a giant red... Well, I'll let you finish that sentence with your own imagination. Uh, but it, it, it's 150-foot it's emblazoned with Bulldog logos, and this thing is going to fly, as we understand it, Jackson, at every home game and select road games. Is that right? Yeah, I think I don't know if they confirmed the road games, but that's in the plans. And I just uh, they fill the thing with air on site, so technically they could take it everywhere. It's not like they have to fly it from Fresno. So I can only imagine being at Ole Miss and seeing the big bulldog blimp flying around, or a rival like San Jose or San Diego. Do you think that would be the wisest idea in Mississippi? <laughs> Where 
pretty <laughs> sure. Like I, I don't know Mississippi that well, but I am guessing that the that the that the carry laws probably aren't too strict there, and and this just feels like something that would get shot out of the sky. Now I. Uh, the the Ole Miss fan base is 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 historic for their gratitude, their generosity, and their awesome tailgates. So, any potential Ole Miss fans listening to this, not going to disparage the Grove, not going to disparage the program. It's certainly a game uh, that the Bulldog fan base, uh, the coaching staff, and the players, I think even the media uh, are are looking forward to. It's a really unique opportunity to visit one of the most historic landscapes in all of college football, but. I still feel like that damn blimp would get shot out of the sky if it maybe like why the hell is a Fresno State but like just some drunk dude there at the Grove just like not in my house <laughs> and here and comes then all the of a sudden the story becomes <laughs> Bulldog versus Rebel game put on hold to fetch shot down balloon off field like. <laughs> I saw this thing in person, and I tell you what, that guy who's driving it is brave. Uh, like, you got to understand, the other team in Mississippi are the Bulldogs. So, to a certain, there's going to be at least one person there that goes, I don't give a damn who the team in front of state is. Ain't no damn state Bulldogs flying over my stadium. Like, you just know that's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, anyway, I, I, I mean, I, as a marketing tool, this thing's incredible. Uh, as as anything else, I'm I'm not sure what the hell it is, but <laughs> it's awesome, man. Like it's vintage college football, and that's truthfully the only thing that matters. Um, other bit of big news that that came out this week, though, I think it came as little surprise to really anyone. Uh, Fresno State announced the starting quarterback, kinda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely making more progress than we had last year. There will be a starter for at least apparently maybe possibly three quarters of the game for game number one. But DeRuiter said that they, he chased in Virgil will see reps um, and possibly for Childress. Uh, I'll just start out Jackson and ask you, what do you make of the decision with Greenlee? How confident do you feel the coaching staff is in this decision? If they're only committing three quarters, five eighths, whatever you want to call it, to him of game one, uh, and and actually I'll stop there. I I got a third question for you, but I'll let you answer those two. Uh, well, I think the coaching staff is uh, pleased with where he's at, where he's improved, and I think they're just more comfortable with him because he's been in the system the longest out of the quarterbacks. Uh, I think it does say something that they named him because they very easily could have said. Uh, we'll play Greenlee a quarter, we'll play Chase in the quarter, we'll play Ford a quarter like they did at USC last year. So I think he definitely stands out, but they want to put uh, Chase and Ford under the bright lights and see if maybe they had to make something special happen. And because uh, Chase and Virgil is a guy that could redshirt, so I think they definitely have plans to use him in some way or at least make sure uh, that's not the guy by the second or third game. Uh, there's always a, a case where if Greenlee wins out, they can redshirt him the next year because uh, I've seen some people complaining on the board that Chase and Virgil is going to lose that redshirt from week one, but I don't think it's such a bad idea. We saw it work out with Derek Carr, and uh, I guess we'll get four children to try it too. I mean, he's a little bit farther behind in the offense, but he's got uh, the background to do it. 
Yeah, and in 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 the third question that I'm going to level you here is, do you think? I'll make this a two-parter, <laughs> though I suppose one would sort of answer the other. Do you think Greenlee actually finishes that game? And 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 if not that game, because I mean it's Abilene Christian. So how much are you really going to draw from that? And if he struggles, then I feel the second portion of the question would be answered. If he didn't make it through that game, would he get through the season? I'm guessing not. If he couldn't beat Abilene Christian, but assuming he makes it through that game, do you see him making it through Ole Miss? And if not, why? Or do you see this as yeah, they're, they're making the right decision here? I think it will be kind of this way for both of those games just because you have uh, Albany and Christian. So, I mean, there's going to be such an underdog and Ole Miss is going to be such a favorite. Uh, those are probably the two games where you can look on the schedule and say, oh, whoever we have a quarterback, we're either going to win week one and lose week two probably. So I think they'll give each guy a shot out there. Um, but there's a lot of young guys at receiver, I believe, out of the two deep uh, – both the outside receivers and the slot, you have one guy who's played for the Bulldogs before <laughs> at this point between uh, injuries and everything, and that's Chad Olson. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this team goes out and struggles for a quarter or two. Uh, you just don't want to get it to the point where it's like pressure on Greenlee that he's failing already and you're going to go to the next quarterback. Um, they, they need to take care of business against ACU for sure. And, uh, you don't want to get them too nervous after a half because they very well might be in the game at that point still. So. Yeah, and I, I, you know, as I look around at this, I feel like there's a bit more confidence in this. But my my question, I guess, is this, and I don't really think that either one of us are going to have the answer. I, I really think this is something you probably and only could ask Kawada or the coaches. But it, it, are you buying the 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 Greenlee only threw two interceptions all camp long stat. And if not, are, are you saying that the coaches are fluffing it or that there were a hell of a lot of checkdowns in camp? Because that's an awful stark difference from last year to this year. Those are almost Marcus Mariota. That, that I mean, that that is like a Marcus Mariota style stat, you know. Even even through the Tennessee training camp, people were still tossing that out there. He just doesn't throw interceptions, and you know, from last year to this year, or even what we saw in game last year, it just doesn't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doubting it. I'm just saying it doesn't add up logically. What, especially with what you've heard all throughout camp about where these guys are at and that nobody separated themselves and and based on what people had seen, that wasn't really the case either. I mean, there's either some really deceptive play calling going when it's an open media session or uh, or, or Greenlee just turns the lights on when, when we take off. I mean, what, what, what do you make of that stat? Uh, the only thing I can think is that, for at least from what we saw in the open scrimmage, whenever a play broke down or, you know, he didn't really have an open guy, he would roll out of the pocket and kind of either run for yards or scramble out the line of scrimmage or just throw it away. So I just think he's really conservative with the ball, at least. Uh, I don't know. It might just be a thing where saying two interceptions is just kind of gets a little bit of the people talking about him, but... Uh, and I don't know how accurate that is even, but 
I think it's a combination of him being really conservative with the ball and then just uh, really, I mean, he doesn't really throw the ball into too many questionable situations from what I saw in the scrimmage. Now, I feel like we could spend an hour on Greenlee. I don't think we necessarily need to. I think... I think with Greenlee, it's it's wise to, to, to see what the kid can pr- produce in, in, in the first two halves against Abilene Christian and really Ole Miss because you have to think that you have to think that he's going to be uh, uh, getting the nod if he does even remotely well against Abilene Christian, which I, I mean, given the fact that the coaching staff has had all year to prepare for this one game to get this start. Uh, you hope they're not looking ahead to Ole Miss, but uh, I, I don't think spending radio time trying to speculate what Greenlee's going to do when they're live bullets is relatively fruitless. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, we can really only go on what we saw last year in this very brief time on the field and uh, what we saw in camp, and that's not a, a big sample size. It's just it's time just to see what's going to happen here. And, uh, Greenlee still does have two more years of eligibility, so even if he goes out and lays an egg, there's no telling he might be back out there again or start the next season with the way uh, they kind of handled the quarterback situation based on last year. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I mean, it's it's just going to be a matter of time. It's going to be a play it by ear. As one of our uh, subscribers, like Harry, likes to say, it's the wait and see team. Uh, moving along to some other important news, uh, because we did get a commitment from Mr. Justin Rice. So I feel that that's a perfect segue to this next question. Is there a legitimate second tight end on this roster that will be able to make a difference on the field? There are more formations with two tight end sets. What do you think, Jackson? Are, are, are you seeing this is the year uh, that either Jared Rice breaks in or Kyle Rittering? Or what, what's your take on the situation? I think you're going to see both Rittering and Rice. I think, at least the way they use them in the scrimmage, they were both out there at the same time. Uh, at least with the Anderson third team, uh, they... I mean, both of them kind of bring the same kind of thing to the game. I think Rice is a little more athletic, but Rittering is a bigger guy who can probably block a bit better. But Rice, as only 215, it's not a lot to play tight end at this level, but he's been such a good receiving target. Uh, Coach Reuter says they kind of plan on redshirting him, but he's probably played his way into a role on this team. Probably the same situation you had with uh, Chad Olsen last year where wasn't quite big enough to play all the time, but definitely had some sort of role in the offense. Uh, I think you'll see all three of those guys, uh, two at a time, just the big thing with this offense that Drew wants to do is put two tight ends out of there and use them as receivers, use them as walkers, use them as H-backs, so you can keep the tempo up without substituting guys and letting the defense match up with uh, a fast receiver and a big tight end. You've got a guy that can do both. Yeah, and and you know it's it's Jared's probably the quickest guy that they have out there, but really what it comes down to is everyone else outweighs him by like 25 pounds. So it's just going to sort of come down to when Jared's on the field. Uh, teams are probably going to catch on, or at least they ought to. But then again, this is it's the Mountain West, and some of the coordinators aren't the best, but. Uh, 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 teams may catch on pretty quickly that, that he's more of the receiving option in that two tight end formation and that 
any of the other guys that they may bring in uh, might might be blocking decoys. But of course, if you put him and Olsen out there, that certainly make it interesting if you hit him with a good old sluggo and set Olsen up like he's going to be the blocking tight end. And the other uh, thing is that the slot receiver depth is not that great right now. So yeah, I mean, why, why put out your you know your second string slot receiver when you can use your tight end to do kind of the same thing? Yep. 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 Uh, you know, I, I mean, we were we were talking about some of the you know you you, you mentioned slot receiver depth. Are, are there any other concerns leading up? You know, to to the season opener. Do you feel like there are still some areas? where the Bulldogs either aren't up to snuff or maybe uh, at least level or worse than in that area from last year? I think that first team they're going to throw out there is really talented. The only thing is that hardly any of these guys have played in the first best state of football in a real game. You've got Keyshawn Johnson, who's probably going to start on the outside as a redshirt freshman, and the same thing in the slots. Uh, Keon Williams and Jameer Jordan, both redshirt freshmen again. Uh, I think they have all the talent in the world, and they're just going to get it even better. But the thing of it is is that these are guys that haven't played, and you can only imagine what the execution is going to look like when all of these redshirt freshmen step on the field for the first time and expect the offense to move uh, like it's in perfect rhythm because it's not going to happen. And... It's just you got to have expectations that are, are reasonable with such a young group and a new quarterback calling the signals for these guys, too. I think on paper, what I've seen in practice is a really talented group, but it might take a little while for everything to come together. And it's going to be premature to quit on these guys with fans maybe a few weeks in if it doesn't get moving right, right away. Right. And uh, I mean, especially when you look at, you know, the strongest units of the teams right now, I I mean, what's interesting to me out of that Zach Greenlee stat, I think, is this Uh, throughout the entire fall camp, we'd agreed that the defense was ahead. Uh, But if Greenlee only has two interceptions on the entire fall camp, I'm I'm wondering what's going on with the defense that they couldn't pick him off more than twice. Um but, uh, you know, we expect the offense uh, to be in good shape as long as one of these quarterbacks, whether it's Virgil, whether it's Childress, whether it's Greenlee, whether they can get that ball down the field. And as, you know, we sort of broke down, there are a lot of guys on the field. Uh, there are plenty of weapons to work with. Uh, you know, Damari Scott's back. Uh, obviously, uh, he, he was gone for part of the offseason, and we won't really get into the specifics out of respect, but... Uh, you know, he, he, he left and came back, and, and he's probably a very welcome addition back, uh, but he's going to get take a red shirt this season. So, uh, you know, that's, that's going to hurt those other areas uh, of depth, but one of the things that it can do for that receiving core is that Scott's a guy who knows the offense, and he's really a guy who can get in there and sort of lead, not necessarily by example, but... Uh, uh, because obviously you can't do that if you're not on the field, but, but he can, he can lead this team with a great knowledge of what the coaching staff uh, are trying to do on the field. He can guide some of these young receivers and help them along in their development. Um, so I, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think the biggest probable improvement has been the secondary. Would you agree, Jackson? Yeah, they looked a lot more improved in the scrimmage, but it's been so in flux all 
all fall camp. There's been injuries. Uh, Dalen Jones looks like he'll be back sooner than expected, but Malcolm and Charles Washington's both missed uh, significant chunks of camp. Uh, you had Mike Bell, who was taking first team reps at corner, and now it looks like he's got a red shirt. I mean, it's kind of been all over the place. It's, I think the overall depth is there, and they're going to be fine. It's just, do they know what they're working with going into the first game? I'm not sure they know who the first team is right now. Well, I, I do we know who will make the biggest impact out of those potential unknowns? Is is, is there a relative unknown in, in this group that surprises everyone? I mean, maybe start looking at like a guy like, see, I feel like maybe using Blandon and LJ Reed is a cop out because uh, I mean, at least they were uh, maybe Blandon might not be, but certainly LJ Reed, if you were committed to CLA. Well, in the secondary, uh, Tyquan Glass might be a guy that steps up, but kind of is a last minute addition, as far as we know, just kind of announced right at the beginning of fall camp. He was having a really good camp. That's uh, pretty good coverage from what I've seen, especially man to man. And the thing I like most about him is that he's aggressive. He uh, he pulled in a defensive captain clearance call, and I wasn't even mad because that's not something. Well, I think the case of Fresno State defensive backs is they haven't even been close enough to get a captain clearance penalty at times the last couple of years. So I, I wasn't upset about that, but I think he's a guy that could step up. I don't know. It all just depends on where Charles Washington is, really. He's coming back at this point, but I don't think he's at 100%. Uh, Malcolm Washington may be a guy that's back. I think they would uh, like to start him if he's 100%. Jamal Ellis could certainly be in there. He looks like he's improved quite a bit. Uh, and then just seeing what happens with the safety play, they try to ground the food a lot. He may have to start week one with Daniel Jones in there. Um, it's just there aren't too many guys where it's just a little bit different than the offense because there's a lot of defensive backs you don't really know who's going to step up or the offense you can say Blanton and Reed are probably going to be falling in a lot of passes because of uh, what's happened in this camp how high I I, want to ask you here is the ceiling for a guy like Greenlee you know kind of staying on that train of guys who can develop guys who can come through uh, uh, guys who could potentially deliver uh, unexpected seasons. How high is the ceiling for Gr- Zach Greenlee? Do, do you feel like this, if, if he's able to show maybe some of the talents or some of the tools that he's shown us in practice, is this a guy that can, that can put together a, a season people aren't quite expecting? Uh, it could happen. I mean, on paper, looking at him as a recruiter out of high school in the Elite 11 program, getting praised so much by Dofer, he certainly had pretty high expectations on him at the time. Um, but I don't really see any of these quarterbacks coming in and starting as a first-year guy and putting up tremendous numbers, no matter if someone else takes that spot. Um, but I would like to see Greenlee or whoever it is win the spot and then progress over the next year, two or three, uh, depending on who it is. Uh, because even some of Fresno State's best quarterbacks haven't put up a ton of numbers in their first year, but it was that progression from the to the next year and the third year if uh, they stayed that long. And that's kind of the unknown, too, because we haven't seen Fresno State uh, with this coaching staff really develop any of their own guys because the only one you can point to is Burrell, and he left after a year. 
And that sort of is a perfect question from one of our listeners. They, they wrote, I know it's evolving, especially with four quarterbacks getting reps, but how would you describe Schramm's offense? Is it read option? Is it pass first, balanced? I'm trying to describe it to my cousin, an FSU alum who now lives in Texas. I don't want to say it looks like last year's because that would totally deflate the last vestige of optimism he has for the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to this guy for the listener question of the week. (laughs) I think. What you got on that, Jackson? Are you going to go ahead and crush his his cousin's optimism? (laughs) Well, I think this offense is going to reflect more schematically with the Derek Carr offense than the offense last year as far as the passing game goes because you have guys like Keon Williams and Jameer Jordan who are like an Isaiah Burst who can catch the ball at the line of scrimmage and make something happen. And when you have that option, then you can throw deep. Like was what you had with Devontae Adams and Isaiah Burst. You had to, as a defense, either say, okay, we're not going to get beat by Adams and let Burst catch it uh, down low, or we're not going to let Burst torch us and we're going to potentially give up the deep ball. I think that's what these receivers, the threat they pose that they didn't really have last year as a, a collective unit. But then uh, at the same time, you have an offense that's going to be more based around the run game because you have Martez Waller. And uh, no matter who the quarterback is, I imagine you're going to run it a decent amount of times. Uh, it's the way I would explain it and the way the coaches tell it to me is it's just about taking what the defense gives you. So, as long as they have enough threats to make the defense give up something, you know, it's just going to depend on how they match up the teams. Um, so it, it's hard to really pinpoint them in one kind of uh, aspect of the scheme. But uh, if they can do it all, then they'll be a threat, uh, even if you don't have guys as talented as they had two years ago. And do we know a date by which they'll have named a starting quarterback, or do you think there's a, a possibility that they could this could drift into last year territory? Yeah, I don't see them having any sort of target. I mean, the ultimate goal is to win conference, win the conference championship. So I'd imagine whatever the situation is going to be, it's going to be settled before that first conference game, whether they name the starter, they just decide this thing might change from week to week, or we might play two guys. So it's hard to to predict what they're going to do based on the results because it was kind of all over the place last year. And, you know, flipping over to some, uh, want to talk about some, uh, uh, we'll, we'll do some special team questions here, and then we'll get into uh, an offensive line question or two. Uh, so one of our listeners said, Tank Kelly on kick returns. Speak of it. <laughs> he was one of the guys, I believe, that was involved with the kick returns in the scrimmage. You had him and Dustin Garrison, I believe, were the two primary kick returners. Uh, but that's been a pretty solid combo back there. Justin Garrison can really make guys miss, and Kelly's just an athlete who uh, is really, you can tell his body, he's just put a lot of work in in the weight room from his freshman to redshirt freshman seasons. Uh, he's in the mix of that corner, too, but uh, I think if you're going to see him at all, it'll be on kick returns this year. Uh, getting into uh, an, an offensive line or two question, and then we'll talk about Blandon and Reed. Uh, one of our listeners had asked if, if uh, Bonaheim has still been practicing or if he's uh, still nursing the hamstring problem. And from about the third day until at least Saturday, he's been out. Uh, what's the latest on Bonaheim's situation, Jackson? Uh, do you expect him to be ready for the season opener? Because hamstring injuries can sometimes take up to a month or two. 
Yeah, I believe he just started working uh, this week sometime, uh, very recently. So I don't know if he'll be able to be at 100% with a, only a week of practice under his belt, but I do believe he's back at practice. Uh, the only uh, thing with that is, though, is that you've had an extra guy taking first-team reps all this time. Uh, you had Jacob Vasquez at center and Micah St. Andrew at guard, and those two guys have been kind of fighting for that guard spot. So uh, it looks like a situation where if they go with Vasquez, that Bonaheim will actually come back as a guard uh, if they go with Andrews, and Bonaheim will go back to the center spot. Or uh, you might even see him uh, just sit out the first game if he's not ready, and you see Vasquez and uh, St. Andrew both. I'm more inclined to have Bonaheim sit out that first game. Hamstrings are a really tricky thing, and if you try and rush him back, that tends to be when you create a bigger problem that puts a guy out for longer. Um, I know uh, uh, Abilene Christian, it, it can be a competitive opponent, but I feel like this is a game where you just sit him and you wait for uh, Ole Miss and, and hope that that hamstring is a 100%, because there's really no point in risking him against Abilene Christian. There's just truthfully not. It's probably not a game you're going to lose, and if you lose it, you didn't lose it just because Bonheim was out. <laughs> like... Um, but if something happens in that game and he's out for Ole Miss, now that's a much, much different story. Uh, how would you play this situation, Jackson? Yeah, well, it just depends on where Bonheim's at. It seems like they've been careful with him, at least. When they first got injured, they said, oh, it's only going to be a day or two and turn into a few weeks. So uh, if he's not 100%, I'd say keep him out. But, but it could be a kind of a difficult situation if he's got – potentially three new quarterbacks that are going to play in Ole Miss and switch the center on them from game one to game two. It's just going to complicate things. So maybe it would be wise to bring in Bonaheim and guard in the early weeks. Well, sticking with that, as of right now, who would you project to be the starters on the offensive line? Let's do it. I think you already answered that question without Bonaheim uh, in there. It would probably, it would be Vasquez at center and, and Micah St. Andrews at guard. Uh, but how would you round that out uh, without Bonaheim? And then when he comes back, I, I kind of feel like you've answered that. But uh, it, we, do we expect any other chain? We know we got Fafita at left tackle. We know we got Northern on that right side. Uh, uh, what else is, uh, I mean, what else is is there? It, it, will will yeah, we see Aaron little... Mitchell? Yeah, that just is the left guard spot, which Aaron Mitchell seems to have locked down. Uh, that's the most interesting thing that, if it's Vasquez and St. Andrew battling, that means Darren Mitchell's the number one guard as a retro freshman, so they're really happy with him right now. Yeah, and that was a guy last year that Norcross had talked quite a bit about, man. He really liked his footwork and his technique coming in, and, and he thought enough of him that he made the two deep, even as a red shirt last year. They didn't have to use him, uh, uh, but, but, but he cracked that two deep because, well, he's good. Um well, what about a guy like Mason Bradley? Uh, is is he still continuing to impress? Uh, has he cooled off? Uh, you know, he looks good, but he's just not the size to play right now. They're, I know they plan on redshirting him, but what I saw, he's really quick for a defensive end, and I think it's just going to be a very similar situation to Hendrickson where uh, he's just going to need a year to get his body up to speed and uh, get to a weight that's – the uh, pitch the three four system that defensive end. 
Now, flipping over to the receiver side of the ball, I talked a little bit about LJ Reed coming in. I know UCLA really liked him and had planned to incorporate him early. You know he's going to get some reps in Fresno State's offense. How many reps is LJ Reed going to get? How much production do you expect that young man to have? He he was just so electric in high school. Uh, I, I feel like with with receivers, you can sort of jump right in there if you've got the ability. And LJ Reed is a guy that has the ability. But the question is, does he have more ability and knowledge than some of the other guys that Fresno State ha- has uh, starting at the receiver position right now? Where do you see him, him slotting in over the course of a season? And how much of an impact is a guy like Blandon, who is really supposed to be that bigger taller receiver in the vein of Aaron Peck how much of an impact does he have I think uh, Reed's going to play a lot just out of necessity at this point you got uh, Aaron Peck and Delvon Hardaway out Uh, Damari Scott looks like he's going to redshirt and they didn't bring any other receivers in besides the two of them they're really uh, shallow at the position right now Uh, only four guys really Uh, Keyshawn Johnson uh, redshirt freshman hasn't played uh, Brandon and Reed, and then Darrell Fury, who's been in the system just a year longer, but uh, hasn't impressed a whole lot to get into the two deep yet. So I think you'll see Reed and Brandon out there a lot. Uh, Reed's really impressive. It's just because of his physical ability, really. I mean, when I was out there the first day, he's probably the one guy physically that stood out the most. Uh, just huge. I mean, and then he's a receiver on top of that, and the size doesn't slow him down at all. Uh, Coach Reuter described him as a, like a basketball player to me, and uh, I really like that analogy because you could just see him posting up and just grabbing a basketball with one hand, <laughs> palming it uh, into the post, and not having any worries. Uh, he, he really brings that to the receiver position too. He's just such a wide presence that it's really easy to throw it into his core, and he, he comes down with it. I haven't seen him drop a ball all camp. And then you look at Josiah Landon. He put on a really crucial 15 pounds because he was kind of real thin even going into junior college. Uh, he's up to 215. He's filled out quite a bit. And I think that might be your number one receiver this year, to be honest. Uh, he's got, obviously, 6'4". There's a lot of ways you can attack defenses with a guy that size. But he just has a really good overall talent. He was Arizona State signee out of high school, and he probably could have gone a lot of places. I was talking to him. He had... Uh, pretty much every school kind of doubted he was going to qualify or it was they didn't want to wait on him. If they were going to take a junior college guy, they wanted him to be a mid-year transfer. And so you did have schools like Louisville and uh, a few others to slip my mind. I know Colorado was really on him, but uh, a few schools wanted him towards the end, but only San Jose State had him. And even then, they were waiting for a scholarship to free up. But uh, he ended up in Fresno State, and I think that, that was – Imagine if he wasn't there, the outside receiver position would really be in a huge bind right now. And, you know, speaking of eligibility and and things of that nature, uh, one of our uh, subscribers had asked if anyone knows about anything further on D Brown's eligibility is the coaching staff expecting the DB transfer from Washington state to receive a waiver to play this season. What are the chances? Uh, As I understand it, he's going to just have to sit out, right? I I mean, that's, that's pretty much what the story was when he came over, he was going to have to sit out the year 
and that it didn't seem likely that that a transfer was even going to be uh, eligible in this case. Has that changed? No, yeah, I heard a few weeks ago they were going to try it, but I imagine if, if they had any chance, we would have heard something by now on it. Yeah, so I think you can sort of write that one out, at least for right now. A um, couple last things here we'll try to get through with you here, Jackson. Uh, one here is, do you think CW, and that's just what they put, uh, do you think CW will take a medical red shirt? Uh, so I imagine that would be Charles Washington. Um, no, <laughs> that would be, that, that would be my answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't think so. It sounded like they were starting to work them in the practice today or uh, this week. Um, I think if there's any chance he's going to contribute, they're going to play him to be honest. Uh, the way that they've approached it, this can't, I think he probably could use a medical red shirt with how much he needed over the off season. But I just, I would be surprised if we got that announcement. I think we would have gotten some indication that they realistically thought he wasn't going to play this year. Yeah, I, I think at this point, if they were going to announce it, that they had already done it. I think at least the hope is right now is that he's I, he's too critical to what they do on defense that I think that that's sort of a last-ditch resort um, uh, for – you know, obviously with him, they, they don't, the preference would be to not redshirt him just because of how critical he is, how much he meant last year, how, how much they can move him around and slot him when they, where they need him based on injuries. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, there may arise a situation whereby Washington decides that his pro future is, is incredibly important and he wants to take the year to get right. Um, in the interest of fairness to that question, what, what does Fresno state do if that happens, Jackson? Well, if Charles makes that wish, uh, you've got to grant it, I think. Um, well, right. I, I mean, more and more, because, what's, what's, yeah. what, what's the option? <laughs> they tell him to go F himself and say no. no. Yeah, I think you've got an Illinois situation at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, dude. You're going to uh, – is Tim Beckman? Is that you? Uh, um, no, I, I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're looking at depth-wise. Who who steps up? Who slots in? What what happens with the defensive back area if Charles Washington decides that he does want to take that medical redshirt? Yeah, I think just as far as the coaching staff goes, they're going to have to, um, if, if it's a situation where he may have to sit out longer, they could wait it out for the first month and see if he's ready for conference play. Um, after him, I think Malcolm Washington and Jamal Ellis are the two safe choices at corner, but you do have guys like Tyquan Glass and uh, Tank Kelly in there too, but uh, I would expect Malcolm and Charles to be the next guy, or Malcolm and Jamal to be the next guy to And uh, sticking with the defensive backs, um, one of one of our listeners had asked AJ Greeley, "What's the deal with him? Anything official?" And I believe we've already reported that uh, AJ Greeley is going to junior college. He did not qualify for Fresno State. I believe he, this was official, correct, Jackson? I. I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember them saying he would not be coming in. Uh, what I was told was that he was going to have to, uh, I don't know if it's through Fresno State, he was going to do something to get his scores up so he could enroll uh, at the next semester and start with the team in spring. 
So it looks like they have plans to bring him in, but he won't be here with the team this season. So take that for what it's worth. It appears to be a Bryson Oglesby situation, except where Oglesby can actually be on campus and go to classes. Greeley was not admitted, so he cannot. So at least the plan that I understand it for right now is that he will go to JUCO for one semester. And then as Jackson said, the plan is to transfer in. But I think Fresno State fans have told us exactly how they feel about that plan when it comes to certain <laughs> certain kids. So uh, hopefully that works out, man, because Greeley is such a talent that, that, that they could definitely use, um, especially when you look at uh, uh, sort of the possibility of Washington coming back and Bell having another year of eligibility or not another year of eligibility, another season uh, of, of uh, under the defense, under toast defense with Woodson, with Manning. Uh, and, and really that could set the Bulldogs up for, for really quite a secondary next year. If they can bring Greeley in uh, sticking with that question or sticking with Manning, I want to ask a question about him, Jackson, uh, what's your impression of Manning's impact uh, coaching-wise on this team? I think he brings something different to the table, Josh. Uh, just when you're out of practice and you see him out on the field, he just he looks like a movie star or something. He just has a presence where he's just ripped and he looks like he could, I don't know, he, he's got his little uh, sunglasses on and like the team's stretching and he's doing push-ups and sit-ups on the side. Like he's kind of a character, and I think he's teaching these guys a lot about how to play man coverage. Uh, I think the defense has gotten a bit more aggressive because of it, and I think there's just an overall expectation. I mean, you've got a guy who is a very good NFL player coaching you. You just kind of want to step it up and live up to those expectations. I think. Yeah, he certainly provides that, that, you know, I mean, when you look at sort of what the Bulldogs were lacking in that in that secondary, Marcus Woodson, when you're out there and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical of him. And, and I know that that some listeners just aren't going to take it that way. And I apologize. I'm not I'm not trying to be critical, but Marcus Woodson, when he's out there, he's got the talk. He's got that energy. But the minute you start losing some of those coaches, if they don't have that professional experience that I've been there, I know what I'm talking about experience. It Sometimes it can be difficult for some of these younger developing players to buy into what they're selling. Um, it really is a battle with some of these guys, especially uh, because they come from different recruiting backgrounds and, 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 and they're attracted to different coaching styles. Some of these guys were brought in when Woodson was there. Some of these guys were, weren't brought in when Woodson was there. Uh, but one of the things that Manning has is I think he has that I want to say swagger, but I've said that about hell. That's Woodson's Twitter handle. But I think I think this is going to be eh, you know, a little a little explicit here. But I think Manning is swagger with cojones. You know, does that does that make sense to you, Jackson? Like he carries himself a little lower to the ground with his swag because he knows. And 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 I feel like if that confidence rubs off on the secondary and you have that secondary uh, set of coaching skills being applied to the tools of the trade. I feel like that can only mean good things for uh, the defensive backs, the safeties, and hopefully lead to a turnaround 
in an area of the Bulldog defense that's been sort of a problem over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think it's been just frustrating for Fresno State fans because I felt like towards the end of the uh, Pat Hill era, I think just the secondary coaching is just lacking, to be honest. And then you bring in a new staff. I think technically the coaching has gotten a lot better, but you have had not as much depth and you haven't had guys with a lot of confidence. So I think, I mean, obviously Curtis Riley is a talented guy if he's with the Titans right now, but he was clearly lacking confidence at times in that defense and the Bulldogs got burnt a lot. Um, hopefully it's really shocking together too. Now. It's like, I, I almost felt bad for Riley and I'm like, you know, it, it's just, he, there's no way this guy sticks because of some of these situations that the, that the Bulldogs have put him in. And I was just, I was worried, you know, and then all of a sudden they're like, the Titans really like him. And you're like, uh, so wait, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when he got to Fresno State, everything was the reports were that this was one heck of a recruit that kind of had to go through the junior college route and even sit out a little bit through there. Um, and was expected, no matter where the position they threw him at, was going to be a big guy for the team. And uh, it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, it was the senior year was a little bit better. But uh, hopefully just the secondary as a whole is at a point where the depth is better, the coaching is better, and then the confidence is better, and all, it all comes in together at once. Because uh, outside of that 2012 season, it, it's been a struggle. And the last question that I'm going to ask you before we wrap this up, because believe it or not, we have gotten through every single listener question, <laughs> I believe. Um, duh, 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 duh. I'm just going over your guys' questions to make sure. Um I think there's only one left, like the the Camacho question. Yeah, uh, the only other one that I was looking at is surprising strengths. I don't I don't know if we touched on. Did we touch on surprising strengths? The areas that'll be t- team units that'll be better than expected. I know we talked about individual players. Did we talk about any individual units that that could be better than expected, Jackson? Real briefly. Well, I just think the defensive line coming out of spring, I was not very confident about that at all, and I think they've rounded out the two D pretty well, bringing in Nick Christophers, uh, Ryan Steele, and uh, Hedrickson. Both have just made uh, very good strides over the last uh, off season. So it just the two D overall looks better, and uh, Claudio Lewis even has improved a lot. So. That hasn't been as much of a concern for me there, which I thought it was going to be a pretty significant concern. Uh, the only other note that I want to hit on before we ask about, I'll ask my last note about Camacho is speaking of that front seven. Uh, I, uh, Lazarus, Michael Lazarus has gone and done it again. Uh, he got himself suspended. So he's out for the season opener. He and Chris Maliga both have been suspended for an unspecified violation of team rules and Fresno state will only have the one comment on the matter. Uh, one game suspension, you probably figure it's something like breaking curfew, doing something stupid. Uh, this one doesn't scream a pot. Those usually come with, with more than one game. The staff has been pretty strict about that stuff. Um, uh, could to do with grades, too. So uh, really, I, I mean, I know I just speculated a little, but not worth overly speculating upon uh, beating down into the ground. One game suspension. Fresno State appears over it. So we'll go ahead and leave it there. But nonetheless, they're not going to have them from Abilene Christian. So hopefully Laz can rebound back into that because uh, he's a guy now that that 
the only concern you have with Laz is, is he going to get this together? Because this isn't his first suspension and that these are the sorts of things that you usually see up to an announcement stating that somebody has been dismissed from the program. Um, yeah, he was he was out for the bowl, uh, all the practices for the bowl game. I was told he was suspended during, and yeah, I mean we we saw I believe I don't remember if last year we had suspensions for the first game in 2012. Uh, they, it was quite a few guys were suspended. Uh, I believe Victor Dean was one of those guys, and was a guy that had been in trouble, and it wasn't long before he was off the team. So hopefully Lazarus isn't one of those situations. And then uh, Malik is an interesting one because he has cousins with Xavier Alucci who was just kicked off. So, I mean, not to over-speculate, but I think those are two guys you got to keep an eye on uh, as far as their future in the program. Yeah, I you know, I couldn't help but notice that same thing, too. And, and like I said, I'm not going to get into the, to the over-speculation, but I think you probably left it right where it needs to be left. Two guys to keep an eye on. A uh, situation could get... Better, worse down the line. Hopefully it gets better because Laz is certainly a tremendous talent and man, can that dude hit. Uh, last question for you here, Jackson. We'll let you get out of here. Um, Camacho, you know, he, he'd been very consistent heading into fall camp, but he had some problems with elevation. Where is he at right now? What's the kicking situation like? Is it going to be croning? What's, what, what's it going to be and how much leg has now Camacho provided to the situation or can he continue to provide? Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure where they're at right now. Hopefully we get some clarity when the death chart, the first one comes out because I think Camacho overall is a better kicker, but we saw particularly his first kick when they throw him out there. Yeah, it was just like a line drive only like five yards up. is really bizarre looking. But when he does hit it, he hits it very, very well. So you don't really want a kicker in there that's going to be, you don't know where his head's at if, if that's a concern. Because uh, I think he does have a much stronger and accurate kick than Cronin. But if Cronin's the more consistent guy, uh, they, they'll probably go with him. Well, man, I know that we have some incredibly exciting coverage coming up over the course of the season. We have definitely got the team coverage down, uh, but now we are going to have far more high school coverage as the season goes on. Uh, I know I'm personally going to be out at the Liberty uh, versus Mission Viejo game. Jackson, where are you headed tonight? Uh, I'm taking the night off. <laughs> there you go. Jackson's taking the night off. So if you have any questions at all I, about that particular game, I didn't go know ahead Jackson. and shoot at Jackson M underscore scout on Twitter. Uh, he will have minute by minute updates of and from nothing. <laughs> I didn't know Jackson ever took a day off. I mean, that's I know I'm kind of proud of him. I'm like, so where are you going tonight? And he, I expected this great response and I'm like, I don't think he's going anywhere. Nope, definitely not going anywhere. Uh, but not to worry because really we, we have three different people going out to different games this week. We have Lorenzo Reyna is going to be doing some stuff with us. I'm not even sure where Clay Moffat's at tonight, but I know he's probably somewhere. So we'll definitely touch up with him throughout the week and find out where he was. Lucio, what's the plan? Well, I'm going to be heading out to the uh, Clovis High versus Paso Roblos. Uh, I'll be teaming up with Lorenzo, actually. Um, so we'll be there together. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's going to be like old times. We're just going to team up and try to tackle the whole situation uh, together. 
Yeah, so. and, and it'll be exciting because you guys can can get we can get you some practice doing some live updates after after the deal's over, uh, you know, from from the game. So uh, it, it's going to be exciting, uh, Jackson. One or two games that you're going to make a point of hitting this season. I know mine was going to be Mission Viejo Liberty, but I'm sure I'm, I'm going to make a point of hitting uh, uh, Centennial versus Liberty uh, and the like. But what about you, man? What's on your HS radar? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm not having uh, any like particular ones, but just kind of waiting to see how the season develops. I know I want to catch Hanford. Uh, probably see Elijah Parks play at Central at least once for San Jose. Um, probably catch uh, Edison at least once, just because they're always loaded. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so if you guys, I mean, we have a thread of games. If you guys have suggestions, if you think we're not going to the right games, please let us know. Uh, Jackson, you've already launched your major story. Uh, so I'll just ask, what, what what stuff you have coming up for the week and where can people find you on, on social media? Well, I'm going to wrap up the uh, rookie reports. Um, I'm going to be out at practice uh, both Saturday and Sunday and getting interviews, so I'll be talking with uh, uh, Coach Toth about, uh, well, they've already gotten the game prep, but let's get the last of the rookie reports up. And uh, then, yeah, it's only Thursday, we'll have uh, game coverage. And you can catch all of that at JacksonM underscore Scout on Twitter. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at FightOnTwist. Or you can shoot me a tweet for Fresno State at Bulldogs Twist. My primary account is at Fight on Twist. I'll probably likely see it there more, but I do tweet from both. Uh, you can tweet the site at Barkboard or at Barkboard Scout. Uh, as always, you can find Lucio at Red Wave Report. And head, as always, most importantly, head to the boards. Leave us your questions, leave us your comments, leave us the stuff that you want to know at this upcoming season, and we'll do our absolute best to get there. For Jackson and Lucio, I am Josh, and we will catch you next time.